0: This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for August sixth, two 2023. The title of the message is Things to Think About. Now we continue uh, in our morning series through um, Paul's letter to the Philippians. We are coming... Uh, closer and closer to the end of the book and I hope that you've been blessed as we've been going through it uh, as I have in preparing these messages. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 through 9 you can follow along if you don't have a Bible or you have a different translation uh, in the bulletin or the slide behind me. Just to give you a little bit of context uh, we are coming at the tail end of Paul's section regarding the peace of God. How, how the church of Philippi and how Christians in, you know, throughout the ages uh, can have uh, to guard and to keep and continue on in the peace of God. Uh, the different ways we looked at the past several weeks. Uh, the unity that we have as we stand firm together in the Lord, in that peace. Uh, the, uh, we look at um, how the joy of the Lord helps us stand firm in that peace. And last week, we looked at how prayer helps us to to guard the, the peace that God has already given to us uh, with, you know, Guarding us from the anxieties and the worries that can rob us of our our assurance and, our, and of our joy. And here, in verses eight through nine, we come to what it means to continue in the peace of God. Um, that we we already have it. It's being it's guarding our hearts and the ways in which we can fortify ourselves in that peace. Um, and so, it kind of gives us a short a, a snapshot into. Uh, the fullness of the Christian life uh, that is more comprehensive and kind of very broad, but yet uh, focusing in on the peace that God gives us in the gospel. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for, uh, for your peace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you give us ways in which we can have it, to guard it, and to keep it, to stand in it, to persevere in it. We thank you, Lord, for that peace that you give to us because you are the God of peace. Bless us this morning. Be with me as I read and as I proclaim it. Lord, would you be with your people? Uh, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they would receive it, uh, that they would follow uh, what what you want them to know here that they would think about these things and to practice them in their lives. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What have you, <clears throat> what, ha, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. Our thoughts matter. They shape who we are and how we should live. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is, the writer of Proverbs says. Uh, We are what we think. Descartes wasn't wrong when he said, I think, therefore I am. Maybe a Christian spin on that idea is, I think, uh, therefore I live. Paul wrote, uh, Paul began this idea of the connection between thinking and living, uh, earlier in chapter 2 of, of Philippians here, when he, when he wrote to a church that may have some divisions that are a result of what Yodi and Syntyche, Syntyche earlier in, in here in chapter 4, uh, some of the divisions that, that may have arisen because of them. And he says this, I think, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That there's something about a mindset that leads to unity, There's something about a mindset that contributes to peace and and perseverance in the Christian life. Uh, What's implied there uh, with Paul's words in Philippians 2 is that they didn't have the mindset of Christ. They were thinking more about themselves rather than one another. They didn't humble themselves. They were prideful. And when everybody wants to do what they want to do, or when everyone says, you know, what about me? Who's serving me? Then, of course, the church is going to be divided. There is no foundation for unity. Uh, And so Paul then now, towards the end of Philippians, goes back to, again, kind of some of the more general and foundational truths that contribute to peace and unity in the church of Christ. Peace and unity... uh, in the Christian life, individually and corporately. And so he concludes here, then, this section with the importance of Christian meditation and imitation. Uh, The importance of Christian meditation, thinking about these things, and Christian imitation, practicing these things, as you've seen them uh, in Paul uh, and how they keep us, sustain us, help us to persevere in the peace of God. So let's see why, thinking about these things, uh, this Christian meditation that Paul is advocating for, let's see why they're so important for us as individuals and as Christians. If we are to continue in the peace of God, we must engage in Christian meditation. This isn't like the kind of the new age, you know, kind of Buddhist or, uh, you know, Hindu or or maybe like uh, kind of the the pop uh, spiritualism that we see in our uh, culture. You know, meditation meaning emptying out your mind. I mean, if you empty empty out your mind, your mind is going to be empty. How's that going to help you? Are you going to forget everything? No, what Paul is is talking about here is Christian meditation in which we push out bad thoughts, push out negative thoughts by meditating on and and putting in good thoughts, Christian thoughts, godly thoughts. And so then here, beginning in verse 8, he lists six virtues you know, with over the greater umbrella of what is excellent, what is worthy of praise. Here are the six virtues that will help you meditate on, on godly things that will shape who you are, shape how you live, and give you assurance in the Christian life so that you would have peace. So he says, think about them uh, and, and keep on thinking about them. See, see what he says there in, in verse, at the end of verse 8? He says, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about think about these things. And, and the word that he uses there for, for think is the idea of continuing to think, meditate. It is kind of where we get some of that. Is, uh, keep on thinking about it, chew on it, in other words internalize them, meditate on them, let them shape the character of your mind and of your thoughts. Paul, throughout the New Testament, always kind of points to taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that there is a Christian way in which we shape our minds, where he shapes our minds by the way that we think. And when we, when our minds are shaped When our hearts are shaped as we meditate on those truths, on those beautiful things, then it's going to shape us in such a way that we're going to live in that character that we have been shaped for. So let them shape the character of your thoughts in order then to shape the character of your lives. The character of who you are that leads to how you live. And so let's look at each of them. Uh, I'm, I wish I had way more time, but I'm going to try my best to, to give a general overview so that you have something to grab onto so that you can meditate and think on these things. So first, we must meditate on whatever is true in contrast to what is false. I think we sometimes we take this for granted. Uh, I think maybe we think that um, truth is whatever we believe it to be or whatever we want it to be, but there's an objective A standard for what truth uh, is—not just in general, but also in 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 our Christian lives—that arises from the Scriptures. This is the foundation of all Christian thought, because Jesus says, "I am the way and what the truth and the life." That this is the foundation for for everything in the Christian life. Is it true? And just just to make a little remark, sometimes I think in our postmodern. More contemporary culture, people want to find a religion, people want to have some kind of relationship with this amorphous God, not based on whether it's true, but whether it works. For the Christian faith, what matters most is whether it's true. And sometimes that truth comes into, into conflict with the lies of the world. And so sometimes you know, from our perspective, it may not work, right? We're going to get some pushback when we speak the truth in a culture filled with lies. So, uh, but in the end, in the bigger picture, the truth always works because it reflects what is real and the way that, that the world really is. Um, so, so, The the basis for this idea that to meditate on whatever is true is grounded in a God who is truth. That everything he is and everything he says and everything he does is true. Not false, not a lie. Um, Numbers 23, God says this about himself. God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? He's not like us. He speaks the truth, and because we're made in his image, we ought to live by the truth. Titus 1-2, Paul points out the hope of eternal life, and then he says that this hope of eternal life comes from God who never lies. Hebrews six eighteen, in the context of God's promise and oath to his people Uh, He says uh, of God, it is impossible for God to lie. And so to meditate on whatever is true means to think God's thoughts after him, in that truth, to know the truth in general, uh, by seeking after the truth and doing your best to recognize truth, in contrast to lies, half-truths, and and, deceptions. Deceptions. So friends, brothers and sisters, what this means is you have to be able to discern and distinguish what is true in order to understand what is a lie. Because if you don't understand what's true, whether in general life, uh, you know, two plus two equals four, uh, just think of anything that that you know is true, so that, and including biblical truths, right, that uh, there is a God who is... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one Godhead, who made the universe, who made the world and made us, right? Who, who because of the fall of Adam, Adam and Eve, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he redeems us from our sins. He redeems us from the punishment and guilt that we deserve. And so he sent Jesus into the world, a, a real human being uh, who, who I- incarnated himself, In our humanity, so that He could live in our place and die in our place and rise again, so that we might rise uh, in Him. Uh, That all the the, the, all the intricate, various truths upon which the gospel stands and falls, we have to to know it as truth, so that then we can recognize a lie when we see it. And so, it's incumbent upon all of you, all of us, to be able to to know the truth inside and out. Uh, or else we will, be, um, we will be susceptible to the lies because we don't know what's true. So let the word of God then become the lens by which you see all of reality. Let it be the lens of truth by which you live your life in all of the various spheres, in your, in your vocation, in your education, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, in your fr- in your, uh, uh, in, with your coworkers, workers uh, Everything, let, let the word of God be the truth by which you live. And the only way, I, I guess, the way that you can grow in that is to meditate on it, to think about it, whatever is true. Um... And, and just by way of, of bringing it back to Christ is um, the word of God and the truth of God was the reality that, by which Jesus lived. So when Satan tempted him with lies, what did Jesus do? He combated, he fought by meditating on whatever is true, and he spoke God's word against Satan's lies. Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Sanctify them by your truth, Jesus said in John 17, uh, before he was crucified. Sanctify them by your truth. Shape them by your truth. Make them holy by your truth. Help them to persevere. Strengthen them by your truth, because your word is truth. You can't do it if you don't think God's word is true, and if you don't meditate on it. And so Jesus meditated and trusted in whatever was true in God's word and, and what he knew as God the Son. And so we must as well. Let's move on. Secondly, we must also meditate on whatever is honorable, whatever is dignified or worthy of honor in contrast to what is undignified and dishonorable. See, Paul is calling us to an aspirational mindset, to think on things that elevate us Aesthetically and morally, rather than thinking on things that degrade or debase us, right? We live in a culture that, uh, where everything is coarse. It, it, everything is, is the, the language of what, in previous generations, uh, have been guttural, you know, from the gutter, from the sewers uh, of society, um, the sensuality, the sexual immorality, uh, all of that are, uh, they degrade our humanity. They degrade our thoughts. And so what God is calling us to here, what Paul is calling us to hear, is lift up our thoughts to things that, that are honorable, that are dignified. Uh, what is becoming of the dignity and the honor that we have in Christ Jesus and those who are made in the image of God. Part of the reason I think we have we have such struggles as a culture and as a as a global society against you know treating pe- treating people with such callousness uh, and violence, why why governments oppress and torture their own people, why we um, why people why we kill one another so wantonly is because we have not we have not thought about ourselves and one another as those who have the dignity of those created in the image of God. That we were, that we are, were made a little less than the angels, but now we are higher than the angels. The angels uh, long to look into our, who we are. Um, and and it, on, on Judgment Day, we will judge angels So we have such great honor that God has bestowed upon us, so it's incumbent upon us to to realize it, to live in it, to meditate on it. If we have been raised with Christ, Paul says in Colossians 3, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's that's really what what Paul is saying here is just meditate on the honor and the dignity of, of Jesus and who you are in him. You know, So when, when, when people around you, you know, degrade you and try to dishonor you, it's not going to affect you. It's going to roll right off because you know what? You know the truth. That you sit in Christ, seated in the heavenly places at God's right hand. You are an adopted, beloved child of the sovereign king of heaven and earth. Right? You're, you're not the loser that you think you are and other people say that you are. You are a prince and princess, a son and a daughter of the Most High. We also have to meditate on whatever is just, right? What whatever is right, whatever is 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 uh, is good, right? Versus morally, what is evil and wrong. And this presupposes that there's an underlying foundation of what is just versus unjust, right? And and this presupposes the just character of God and and what he deems as just versus unjust. What he deems as right versus wrong. And for the Christian, this objective standard is grounded in the revelation of God's moral character in his word and in his law. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us to live justly. And now he's he's um, now he's telling us not to that we don't have to be perfect, but we need to know right from wrong, in order then to repent of the wrong that we've committed, the sins that we've committed, and to receive that forgiveness, and to change, to, and for the Holy Spirit to change us so that we might live justly, to live holy uh, and righteously. Because that's really why Jesus saved us. Jesus, who was righteous, died for the unrighteous to bring us to God so that we might be righteous and then live righteously as we are becoming more and more righteous in Christ. Um, So right living, And here's, here's the way that I summarize it. Right living grounded in whatever is just, will lead to right oh, sorry right thinking will lead us to right living right How do you know that you 're living rightly if you don 't know what is right, and so we have to, we have to grow in that area to meditate on it, whatever is just um, and then uh, just as, as an apologetic aside uh, if if uh, if you come across, or you maybe you're you're a skeptic who doesn't believe uh, in God's existence, or maybe you're agnostic, but yet at the same time you believe that there is such a thing as justice. You see the oppression and the, uh, and the evil uh, uh, throughout in our own culture, in in our government, throughout the world, and you protest against it, and you say, you know, we want justice against this. Uh, Unjustice that so and so is experiencing, you have no you have no s- standard for what justice is, if you don't believe that there is a God of justice who reveals what is right and wrong. Um, or in our in our morally relativistic society, you know, if right and wrong is a matter of opinion or of culture, then um, then you also have no no. Uh, ground to stand upon to call anything right or wrong. That's just your perspective. And so why, why are you trying to impose what you believe is unjust on the rest of us? Right? The reason is because you, you know that there's an objective standard of what is right and wrong. And so you concede that ground to the Christian. And what we're saying is, yeah, there is an objective standard that measures all other uh, what other people's opinions, and so um, the only reason why someone can protest an injustice is because deep down inside there is a God who reveals what is just, and uh, and you're just not giving God that credit. So uh, we also have to meditate on whatever is pure, right, moral purity in thought, word, and deed. Again, this is the realm of sanctification and growth and holiness of life. And because God is pure, because he is light and there's no darkness at all in him, we, God calls us to be holy just as he is holy. And so the way that, one of the ways that we do that is to meditate on whatever is pure rather than whatever is evil and, and defiled. Um, and, and so what that means is that we have to surround ourselves with things that tend towards that kind of purity. Um, it, it Maybe it will, it will force us to sacrifice uh, seeing those television shows, those movies, those books, uh, to engage in, in uh, conversations that have at its core something pure rather than what is defiled and coarse and ugly. Uh, fifthly, we have to meditate on whatever is lovely. This is the only place in the New Testament where, where this word is used. And I think Paul is, is uh, referencing an, a moral and aesthetic loveliness uh, in general. Something that is just so lovely that you can't help but embrace it, to want it, to desire it. And I think that loveliness is grounded in God's grace Glory and beauty. And so what, God, what Paul is calling us to is to meditate on the loveliness of God in his loveliness in Christ and the loveliness of his grace that is, that is given to us who are unlovely. Who are unlovable. That therein lies the paradox of loveliness is that God loves the unlovely. Meditate on that. Uh, When when somebody treats you badly and you don't love them, uh, when you've been sinned against, uh, when your thoughts are, are unlovely and you know that God loves you, It also means thinking about the loveliness of just the beauty of God's creation. A sunset over the Pacific Ocean. All the the strands and layers of color uh, at the Grand Canyon. The loveliness of a mother just enjoying laughing with her newborn child. Uh, The loveliness of a father Working his hands to the bone, working 16 hours a day to provide uh, rent and food for his family. Uh, or to go look into the stars, and you see billions and billions of planets, suns, moons. And you know that God placed each and every one of them there. All the galaxies all the universes, including our own. And he made us in the midst of it all. And it's all lovely. It's all beautiful. Meditate on that. And then the last virtue is whatever is commendable, whatever is worthy of admiration. Paul is calling us to think about how others see us so we might glorify God in how we live. And if we don't live godly Christian lives, if we aren't meditating on whatever these, all of these, these uh, virtues are, then we're going to meditate on, on the opposite. And if, we, if the thesis is true that we are, we live as we think, then our lives are going to reflect our lack of meditation on these virtues, and, and we're going to meditate on these vi- on vices, And we're going to live lives that reflect badly upon the Lord. And there's nothing to commend in all of that. Um, And what this also points us to is the idea of thinking about things so that God can have all the glory in your life. I wonder if we do that. If our thought life, if we think about our thought life as a way to worship the Lord, to give Him glory. Um, You can, and you should, and you will. Uh, This just points us to the importance of one's thought life, How, how, how important it is in the ways in which we forget the power of a thought in our lives. Dr. Aaron Beck, uh, the father of modern cognitive behavioral therapy tells a story of how he came to, to, to come to this idea of cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and he tells a story, um, prior to the 1960s, he was a Freudian psychoanalyst. So he kind of, um, he kind of heard people's, you know, anxieties and then he would try to find a root cause that, that, from which that thought came, and then they would analyze why they think that way. But one day in, in 1960, a lady came up to him, or, or one, of his, one of his female patients came to him, and she had a hard time connecting socially with people. And she, she shared like the mindset. She said she, you know, she had these intrusive thoughts that nobody loved her, nobody cared about her. She's all alone, and she's a loser. And at that moment, uh, Dr. Beck was like, you know what, I'm gonna, let me just try something different. And so what he did was he went, he said, uh, tell me uh, why you feel that way. Tell me the evidence that what you're saying is true. And so, t- so during that time, she started, they started to write a list of, of about a dozen people who obviously and, and for sure loved her and cared about her. And, and what, what, what they realized was that these intrusive negative thoughts were causing her to be anxious and driving the way that she lived her life. She was living by these thoughts that were not real, that were not true. And so Dr. Beck says, well, you know, you don't have to believe those what you think. Sometimes our own thoughts uh, do us wrong and they lie to us so challenge it. He says, don't trust that negative thought, challenge it, test it to see whether it's really true. And thus began modern cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and that's, and the CBT only touches on the surface, right? It's just kind of like an outward behavioral modification. But the gospel, the power of God and his grace goes so deep into who we are and explains how we think and and how we can be transformed in the deepest uh, ways in which we live, Uh, I think Paul is giving us cognitive gospel therapy, cognitive gospel transformation to contradict the lies that we tell ourselves and to fight those negative, sinful thoughts with the excellent things of God and of his gospel, what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Think about these things. Fight the lies that you tell yourself and to trust and believe these excellent things that God has told us about ourselves. And it is that truth and that loveliness of who we are and what we have in Christ Forgiven, accepted, adopted, beloved by the Father. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places who loves us by his grace, that we don't have to earn his love because we already have his love. And everything we do, we don't do because we want to make God love us more or less, but because he already loves us in Christ. That will free and change everything in our lives. If we would only... Go back to that. What does the gospel tell me as true versus the lie that I tell myself? This ought to change how we work, how we use our money, how we spend our time, how we live and love our spouses, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, how we respond to hardships and obstacles and trials. Let these gospel thoughts shape who we are and therefore shape how we live. And so we can't just... So don't just think about these things. We also need to do these things. And I'm just going to summarize this last point this way. Paul Paul tells the Philippians... What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and then what? And the God of peace will be with you. This is the Christian imitation of Christian discipleship. You need to see other godly, more mature Christians and how they live, and then follow after them and practice them. What you learn means nothing if you can't live it out. If the learning doesn't lead to, a, to the living, a transformed life, then you haven't really learned it. And the only way you're going to know that you learned it is when you live it. And so this is why it's important for us to be together as a community of faith. How are you going to learn and receive and, pr- and see in others unless you're with others? So can I just challenge you and encourage you to be involved in one another's life. Don't, don't, turn, don't, let ch- don't let our church community be kind of like a Sunday only thing for an hour and then after that we do whatever we want to do. I, I want to encourage you to, to live amongst each other, right? Because Paul's, Paul's, Paul's words here make no sense unless he lived among them so that they could see how he lived his life and then he could tell them, practice these things. And so I'm saying the same to you, to live among each other, to encourage one another in community, face to face, life on life, heart to heart, and practice what you see in one another that gives glory to Christ. Amen? And the God of peace then will be with you because he, in, all of the, in all of what Paul is saying here, the God of peace is always with us. And as we meditate on these things, as we imitate uh, our more godly, mature Christian friends and brothers, we're not walking away from God so that we have to be anxious, but we're walking with God, the God of peace, who gives us the peace that only He can give, the peace of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you thankful, thankful for for what it means to, to meditate on, on these things and to practice them. Help us to take these words seriously and live them out in our lives, personally and corporately, as a church body. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.